find ourselves in Acts chapter 12 this morning, and uh, Acts chapter 12 is uh, pretty full, and uh, I could spend, um, you know, seven, eight months there, but um, unlike my usual mode of operation, I am going to try to do the whole chapter today, um, because I'm going to focus on a couple of key things that um, I think that the Lord has impressed upon me to see. So, if you are there and you would like to follow along, I'm going to read through the whole chapter for us, and then we will dive in and see what it is that the Lord will speak to us this morning through His Word. Chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw it, it, that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get him quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, and there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So as we 
um, unfold this this morning. Again, I was struck by the confidence that we can have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The confidence with which we can operate. I was struck that God is sovereign, that God is in control. So I thought, I thought about the, the past text that we've been in and thought about Saul's conversion. And I realized that 13 years had passed from Saul's conversion in chapter 9 to the Jerusalem assistance that, that Saul and Barnabas brought to the church in, in Jerusalem. 13 years had passed. And it got me to thinking that in the work of the church as a pastor, I long for all people of God to win it and to join in the mission of God. And I admit that this happens at a much slower pace than I would like. I think it should happen tomorrow, today. And it happens at a much slower pace. And as I was looking back at those texts and I realized just what a long span it had been, Saul was knocked to the ground by the Lord Jesus and saved, told that he was a chosen instrument of God, and just in a few verses, 13 years had passed before Saul is, is now being prepared to become Paul and sent out on a missionary journey. His transformation was, it seems immediate in one sense, and a progression and a process in another. That 13 years had passed before he was usable in the way that God wanted to use him. So, I was reminded in the past couple of weeks that, that in our aim for the gospel to penetrate the church and for the church to become healthy, for the church to be vibrant in a world that is in opposition to us, that we do not turn a ship around on a dime. That it doesn't happen overnight. So I thought about this, that if you and I have a desire to have gospel impact, we have to keep in mind that God is sovereign. We must operate in the assurance that the word of God will increase and that God will multiply our efforts. God is in the multiplication process. God is in the, is in the increasing process and that it is not dependent upon us. And mostly that God will provide leadership in the midst of all that is slowing the progress of ministry. That God will provide those to lead. God will provide. And I want to particularly focus on two verses in this passage. And they're the last two. Verse 24 and verse 25. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John whose other name was Mark. I'm going to declare to you this morning this, that the Word of God is the Gospel. The Word of God is the Gospel. Two things that we can be sure of in this world that we live in. The systems and the rulers of this age are contrary to the Gospel and contrary to its people. And then we can also be sure of this. That the gospel of God is the one thing that will surely come to pass. Amen. The gospel of God will surely come to pass. As we think about John 16, 33, I have said these things to you.
that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. To me, that verse speaks volumes to the fact that to place our hopes and dreams in anything else will just as surely leave us lacking and wanting more. The whole of God's word, the whole of God's word is the gospel. The whole of God's word is his redemptive plan for humankind. Cover to cover, book by book, it is the gospel of God. The gospel proceeded from God. It proceeded from God. It dawned on me that the gospel was in God, that he possessed it, that it was part of who he is, it's part of his nature, it's part of what he's always been, has been the God of the gospel, that he has been the bearer and the holder of good news. Here we are, seated in this room this morning, all of us being created beings, sitting here. Now the gospel of God, the good news is this, that you sit here because Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is the gospel of God, that is good news. It is good news that you and I are created being were created by a great creator, a mighty and awesome God. The gospel was proclaimed in the garden to Satan. It was proclaimed in the garden to Satan and a fallen and sinful Adam, from which all of us have been born. The Proto-Evangelion, or what they call the first gospel proclamation in Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Think about this further, that, that Abram, was called according to the gospel. Abram was called according to the gospel. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abram was changed by that gospel. Abram was changed by the call. And to Abraham, this changed man by the gospel, was given the promise of the gospel in Genesis 22, 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord declared, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. That is the gospel. There's a picture of the gospel, of course, in Abraham's treatment of his son Isaac. That he didn't withhold his son, his only begotten son, right? And for us, the great God who is the possessor of good news, the one who holds the gospel, that it's part of him. He did not spare his son for you and for me. This is good news. Well, the gospel was spelled out. It was spelled out throughout the scriptures and it was foretold to the prophets. Isaiah 53, 1 through 6 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was cursed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The prophet Isaiah further tells us of the surety of the gospel in chapter 55, verse 11. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You see, the word of God is the gospel. The word of God is the gospel from cover to cover. It is the sure thing. It is the one thing in this life that we can be sure of, that the gospel will accomplish that which it is sent out to do. It is to save that which is already belongs to him. It will accomplish that which is set out to do. If you would, would you flip to Ephesians chapter 2 with me? As I think about the evidence of the surety of the gospel, I actually just look in the mirror. I think about the surety of the gospel, and I look in the mirror. I have bold confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ as I look in the mirror. I had my doubts during the week, and I just told you I had some troubles with saying that, that, that man, I feel like I'm all alone sometimes in the ministry. But it dawned on me, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and understand the surety of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would ask you guys, look in the mirror. Look deep, deep, deep into your hearts and understand the surety of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here we are. Those of you who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, having saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, as you sit right here this morning, I've said this before and I'll say it again, there's a room full of miracles. There's a room full of miracles sitting in this room. God has done the miraculous. The gospel has worked. The gospel is sure because dead people don't save themselves. As we look at Ephesians chapter 2 in the beginning of this, of this chapter, it is so great. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There's our state. There's our state. And here it is somewhere, somehow, the gospel was proclaimed to you. You heard the word of God. And when you heard the word of God, the Holy Spirit in its power came and convinced you of this truth. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And for emphasis, he says in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. This is an assurance of the gospel at work when you look in the mirror. This is the assurance that the gospel has worked and that it is going to work. And this is, this should be a confidence building sort of message. Sometimes you can hear this and hear that you were really dead and now you're alive and maybe look at yourself and say, I'm a sinful, wretched creature. All of which is true. And then verse 4 tells us, but God. But God. But God. And you can walk in the confidence of this because when were you saved? We were talking about this yesterday morning. About can you can you think back to a time, that time, when you just knew for sure that you had saving faith? Can you can you pinpoint a date, a time? And some can and some can't. And I was reading this this book earlier this week, and somebody had asked the author of this book. Can you tell us when it is you are saved? And he said, over 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Is that not true? Over 2,000 years ago, Christ knew me. Christ knew me. Knew my frame, knew my sin, knew my propensity, knew all of that. And yet, but God, rich in mercy, Rich in mercy, laid his life down for me. And he laid his life down for me and called me and called you a friend. This powerful, awesome God of the universe calls you and me a friend. We can be confident. This is an assurance. This is an assurance. I call it the surety or the confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember so many times, I I can think of how many times this week, I probably have, it's an innumerable amount of times this week that I question the power of the gospel, that I question it's it's working in my life, that I question it's working in others' lives. Is the gospel of God real? Is it true for me? Does it have lasting impact for me? And when I think of verse 10, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and the fact that the word of God will surely do that which it has accomplished. And when I think back about that which God has saved me from and what he saved me to, I am so sure, I am so sure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, I stand here, I'll tell you, as I was preparing this week, and I I sat in the office early this morning, about 6.30, I'm sitting there reading again and again and again, and I I sat there, and I said, you know, to myself, um, I said, you know, Jeff, you bring nothing to this table, but you have everything. You bring absolutely nothing to this message this morning, you have nothing to bring. 
But you can stand up and confidently look at everyone in the room and look them in the eye and know that what you are about to tell them is the truth, Amen. the whole truth. It's nothing but the truth, that, that the gospel of God is sure. I know it's going to accomplish that which it's set out to do. You can stand and confidently say this. You can live it, believe it, know it. Don't shrink back from telling the truth. Don't shrink back. Never shrink back. Because it isn't your truth. You don't possess the gospel. It's not yours. We just discovered that the gospel is God's. Since it's His, I can say it. Since it's His, I can say it without fear. I can say it in here this morning and know that you may reject me as a person, but you cannot reject the gospel. Maybe you can. But you ought not to, because the gospel of God is going to accomplish that what it's set out to do. You can reject me all you want. I have to learn this sometimes, to care not whether or not I'm rejected. Because the gospel of God is sure, and I need to be confident, confident in what the gospel says and teaches, because I know, I know that I know, that I know. I don't know how to tell you that I know. But I do know. I know this to be true. I know this to be true. So as we looked at, at Acts chapter 12, one of the things that really jumped out at me, and I wanted to see this this morning, and I fed you all of this just to tell you that the gospel's true, and that the gospel's going to do what it accomplishes. And the reason why I say that is because we clearly see it in that text. That the gospel of God accomplished that which it set out to do in the midst of really terrible, terrible circumstances. And we saw that the church that was, was there was confident in the gospel. They were confidently trusting in the gospel of God, trusting in the word of God. So you remember that there's a cyclic pattern that we've seen in the book of Acts. And I emphasize this. Because that same pattern still holds true for us. Sometimes in churches we hear that things are going to be easy. That this this process is going to be easy. The gospel, when it causes change in us, it's hard, hard work. And sometimes we shrink away from it. Because the gospel can be really painful to my own desires. It can, it can be hard to face that mirror when you say, the gospel of God is true, Jeff, and you are not. The gospel of God is sure to come to pass. The things that you want are not surely uh, to come to pass. Right? It can be hard to face those things. So there's this pattern, though, that we've seen throughout the book of Acts that is really clearly spelled out here in this chapter, and that is that Christian leaders emerge and they preach the gospel. Listeners are converted and added to the church by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and surely opponents are going to begin to persecute the church. Surely this, though, the gospel of God is going to win out because God intervenes on behalf of the Christian or the church, and then the witness of Jesus Christ as Lord expands. And I could add another one. Because as that witness expands, what have we seen so far? That God raises up another leader. God raises up another one to just stand up and say, I got nothing to offer you, but I'm going to tell you this, that the gospel of God is sure. The gospel of Jesus Christ is sure. So, 
We should notice this, that the surety of the gospel in the last two points of this pattern, God intervenes in the midst of trouble, and the gospel witness expands. If we think about the whole of this chapter, we see that James, he's one of the sons of thunder, John's brother. James, he's killed. Peter was in prison, and he was doomed to die. Christian followers, obedient to the gospel, steadfast in doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in alignment with the gospel, pray. Then, God intervened. The witness of the gospel of God expanded, and God raised up an emerging leader in John Mark to preach the good news of God's reconciling grace to a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's the whole of chapter 12, if you think about it in a nutshell. That's really what happened. Let's look at 12 verse 5, because I want to notice, I want you to notice some things that these who were sure of the gospel, how they practiced that surety. And we see this practice in here, in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. In the midst of trouble, God's people prayed the gospel. They pray the gospel of God. They pray the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's applicable to our prayers. There was trouble going on. Peter was in prison, set to die. And yet, the church believed the gospel, didn't they? How could you pray at a time like that? But you believe. You believe the gospel of God and pray. Earnestly. That means there's no wavering. You say, if God can do this. No, God can do this. God can do this. But earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. So they prayed the gospel. 6 through 8. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and bound with chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter trusted the gospel to save him. Peter trusted the gospel to save him. The gospel had saved him already. He put his faith in the future grace of God because he could recognize the past grace of God in his life. We can put our trust in the future grace of God if we reflect on the past grace that God has given us. Surely God hasn't changed. Surely he hasn't. We've been all been in trouble before. You've all been in the midst of trials and troubles and problems. And then here you sit today. Those trials and troubles and problems some of them are long past gone. And you can look back and reflect on those troubles and say, they were tough. But God was gracious to me in the midst of those things. Because God is God and He's always according to His own nature. So when we sit here today and we're having present troubles and present problems, and we think about our future, I've been to those places where I think about my future, it's doomed, there's trouble everywhere, it's never going to change. I need help. There's nothing, it's never going to change. I'm always going to be in this mess. I'm always going to be in this predicament. Because I've forgotten that God has been gracious to me in the past. He will certainly be gracious to me in the future. That is not to presume upon 
God's grace and say that he has to. It is to look to the future and say, I just know it's in his nature. I know it's in his nature to be gracious. I know who he is. I know him so well that I would go to him and say, I am but a worm, God. Would you have mercy upon me and be gracious to me? Not for my sake, but for your own name's sake, so that you can be consistent with who I know you to be. Right? You can be consistent with who I already know you to be. And if we look at verse 8, he said, the angel said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow. And he went out and followed. Is that not the gospel of Jesus Christ in a picture form? God said to you and said to me, and you might be saying it to you this morning, you might be saying, this is good news that I paid a ransom for you. That this morning you might be thinking, God, you really did pay a ransom for me, and it is sure. And all he would say to you is, follow me. Follow me. Follow after me. So you see, Peter believed the gospel, and in verse 9, he obeyed the gospel. Because he went out following. He didn't even know where he was going. He wasn't really sure what this angel was. He wasn't sure if it was a dream or a vision. But he obeyed the gospel. There must have been something in him that said, this is likened to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he did for me, I will follow him. Because I recognize that I have been set free. The chains fell off. I was bound and tied up. Certainly doomed to die. But the chains fell off. And Christ said, and he took the chains off. He said, follow me. And in obedience, that's what Peter does here. Follow me. Let's uh, move down to uh, verse 17. So one of the things that's really funny about this story is here he comes, he's set free, and he goes and he knocks on the door. And then Rhoda comes and she's like, she sees him and she's, she's like, it's Peter, it's Peter. And then in her excitement, she forgets to open the door and let him in. She just runs to her buddies. Yes, Peter's here. And she runs and sits there like, no, she's not. But what, what, I, what I really find funny about that is that, is that the disciples, as they're in there praying, they should have believed that the angel of Peter might be there, but not Peter himself. I, I think it would take more faith to think that there was an angel showing up to speak to you than it was Peter himself. But they're like, oh, it's just his angel. But what I wanted to, to notice on there is that as Peter continues knocking and they let him in, he motions to them to be silent, to not broadcast this. But notice here in verse 17, he says, but motioning to them, he, he motioned with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. So he described the gospel to them. How the Lord had set him free. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. You see, Peter encouraged them in the gospel. Peter encouraged his brothers in the gospel. Now verse 20 through uh, 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. 
Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. Pretty hard to speak. He was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. But I say that to say this, that God is the owner of the glorious gospel. God is the owner of the glorious gospel and he will not share the glory of the saving power of the gospel with anyone else. He will not share it with another. And as we said at the outset, that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Right? God will not share his glory because he is the possessor of the good news. He is the possessor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the one that owns that. And then, once again, as we look at the last two verses, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That is assurance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the midst of all of that mess and all of that trouble, the verse that jumped out at me was that, was that the word of God increased and multiplied. That the gospel is sure. And just as Ephesians 4 begins with, but God, so is verse 24. But the word of God. All of this may be true, but, but the word of God will prevail. You might be sitting here this morning and saying, I am in a world of trouble. I've got so many pressures on me and I've got so many things maybe wrong and discord in my family. You can trust this though. The word of God will increase, that it will go forth in power and accomplish that which it is meant to accomplish. And that means in ministry as well as it means personally. I think about this, that whatever time I spend in the word of God, and it seems really small when you think about all the other things that I'm distracted by sometimes. But it says that the word of God increased and it multiplied. God can multiply our meager devotion to him. The word of God can multiply in our own hearts. We need to spend some time with him. Spend some time in his word. And God will multiply that work. He's going to multiply that work outside of us, in ministry, but he multiplies that work in our hearts and in our lives. I don't know how many times when I'm pressed, sometimes a word from the scripture will come to my mind and I had no idea I even knew what that was. But God implanted it in my heart and he multiplied that word. And then the other thing that it can multiply for us, I think, is our deep understanding that it is only in Christ and only in the gospel that we are saved. It is in him that we move and live and have our being Paul will say later in chapter 17. In him we move and live and have our being. It's all in Christ. It's all about Christ. I believe in the power of the gospel. I am confident in Jesus Christ and what he's done. I hope that you and I will all be confident, bold, in proclaiming that truth wherever we go. Because here's the one thing. It's not your truth. It's God's truth. You can declare that without fear. You're not just declaring something you know. 
You've received something. You've received something from the author of the universe, the one who spoke the earth into existence, who said, let there be light and there was light. He spoke it, it happened. He spoke into your life and it happened. You can boldly proclaim that truth because he's the possessor of it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for your glorious gospel. Help us boldly know without a shadow of a doubt that what you have spoken to our hearts this morning by your spirit will accomplish that which it is set out to do, that you purposed for your word to be read in this building this morning. You purposed everyone who heard that word this morning. You purposed for the truth of the gospel to do a penetrating work in their lives. So Lord, quiet our hearts for a moment. Let us allow the word of God to do what you're doing. Let us respond. Lord, give us the power to respond faithfully to your gospel. To follow hard after the one who came so far to save us. I thank you, Lord, again for your saving work for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the boldness to share the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would empower all of us to do the same, whether it's at home, at work, or at play, that you would give us the confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.